Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Sitting in today for Scott Galloway is Puck News founding partner, Teddy Schliefer, who reports on Silicon Valley billionaires and their impact on the world. Welcome, Teddy. By the way, Teddy used to work for me, so he's going to be extra nice. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No problem. I think this is finally going to be the week what? where Scott Galloway learns who I am. Oh, really? He doesn't know. He confuses with Dylan Byers. That's why. It's true. At one, at one point, I, I was at Code, mm-hmm. and I tried to speak to Scott in his uh-huh. love language, words of affirmation. Penises. I went up, okay. Yeah. I, I went up to him, and I said, you know, Scott, huge fan of you, blah, 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 licked mm-hmm. him up and down. And then he only wants to talk about Bill Cohen. Uh, oh, right. Several, several minutes of, you know, Scott, you know, I'm buttering him up, doing, doing my best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, doing my best, Kara Swisher. He loves and, you know, he, loves he only Bill wants Cohen. to talk about other people at Puck. So, Scott, yes. um, it's great to meet you. We have a ton of stuff to talk about. We'll talk today about the latest on President Trump's mounting legal troubles, as well as who's signing the biggest campaign donation checks for 2024. There's a lot going on. Our friend of Pivot today is communications consultant Frank Luntz, who's perfect to talk to you, who will help us make sense of all the poll numbers coming out about the election, which are very confusing for a lot of people and very unclear, I think, in many ways. Um, but First, grab your popcorn. This is perfect for you. The Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg fight is allegedly coming to X. I'm not so sure it is. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it's made up or whatever. Uh, Musk tweeted this week, and the fight would be streamed on his platform that all proceeds would go to charity for veterans. Zuckerberg replied, shouldn't we use a more reliable platform that can actually raise money for charity and suggested he is ready today? But Musk hasn't confirmed. And then he said he was he had a neck problem. He's getting an MRI around his yeah. neck, uh, which is, it's so Trumpian in this way. So it's talk con- about- Convenient timing, you know? Convenient the, timing that he MRI. needs an MRI, right? You know, I think this is ridiculous and right. it's bad for Mark. What has happened to these people? Because it really is sad, actually. It's sad and pathetic and they think it's hysterical. I know Mark works out. And I think that's great. Like he was kind of, you know, skinny and mm-hmm. felt nerdy and I think it makes him feel good. And I think that's great. I think this fighting is kind of cool. I did judo. I, I had a green really? belt in judo. Sure do. I like that stuff. It's interesting, but it's mostly for sp- 
sport and fun. And I don't think there's anything sporty or fun about this. And by the way, I hope his shareholders sue him for doing this. Look, this is more about Mark than it does about Elon, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the, the fact the fact that that Elon Musk is, you know, shitposting his way through uh, another crisis at one of mm-hmm. his companies. That's like, that's been true since, you know, Twitter didn't mm-hmm. exist and, and shitposting right. didn't exist in, in the PayPal era. But like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really think we're learning that much new about Elon. The fact that like Mark, who for the last five years has so resisted being a main character is now mm-hmm. like so suddenly so willing to mm-hmm. be a main character. Is that just like a reaction to Elon or is that maybe- Or I'm Jeff thinking, Bezos over making out on a yacht. I mean, it's not just- I'm sure. happy he's making out, but honestly, posting about making out, it's at right. some point, like one, I get it. 17, I'm sort of like, ooh, it's kind of yeah, sad. The the Lauren Sanchez Instagram account is a, a gift, a gift to page six. It is. Um, it's, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Sure. Um, we, we, we all have our guilty pleasures. But look, I mean, I mean, Mark's, uh, to, to some extent, I feel like the, the, the removal of Trump from office um, has made a lot of tech leaders like felt like we're entering this new era where they can like just erase everything between 2016 and 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Where where if if if, he, if this was three years ago or mm-hmm. four years ago, there's no way that like Mark would be this carefree, you know, mm-hmm. just guy who's into MMA and you know mm-hmm. just loves making Surfing. jokes, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, you know, every I, I think I think there's like a little bit of like a, a um, I'm not saying this is fair or not, but I think he feels. That there's a redemption tour that can happen now, right? That yeah. that yeah. the media overstated things, like they overstated Cambridge Analytica, for mm-hmm. instance, or right. they overstated the role that Facebook played in 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 helping Trump. Yeah, but this does does this land him in a better place? He's being brought down. Elon has has tarnished his reputation rather significantly. This pulls him to that level. I I do hmm. have, uh, you know, Mark has, is a nice guy, right? Like ultimately, personally, I, I find him to be relatively. He's not an He's not a like, look at me. And I get that he wants to show off his physique, which is fine, which I guess is fine. But I just feel like who in his family or Sheryl Sandberg or somebody is like, what is wrong with you that you want to be, sw- you know, you know, ball grabbing and groping with um, with Elon Musk? Ew, yuck, sweaty. You think this actually happens? I don't know. I don't know. I think Ari Emanuel's working at it, apparently, and Dina, whatever the hell that guy's name is. I think they would love it because it's a big payday for them in some way. Even though they'll say it's all going to charity, you know it's going to be a disaster. And, sure. I mean, here's here's a radical idea, Kara. These mm. people could actually donate the Just money give. to charity. Just give. With, with, I know without the fight, it's, it, is, it is technically yeah. possible. According yeah. to the law. And, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, I know. We'll, we'll see if they take up that option. How much philanthropy do they do? Because you write about this. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, Elon uh, has basically said that he thinks philanthropy is is child's play compared to the mm-hmm. world-saving mission yeah. that is acquiring yeah. t- Twitter. Or I don't know how we survive without him on the planet. Right, sure. I mean, it's definitely a great man theory of history that he, he subscribes yeah. to. I mean, he, he, thinks, he thinks philanthropy is, is bullshit, and he thinks that it's okay. uh, generally just a, a PR expedition, which, like, I mean, there's mm-hmm. an element of truth to that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, Mark, obviously, has, you know, set up the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. I think it's now in its eighth year. They have, you know, several hundred employees. You know, he spends a day a week on it. Priscilla Chan runs a day-to-day. You know, Mark sees Gates as his role model, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Elon does not see Gates as his role model, and I think he's no. very dismissive of the philanthropic industrial complex. And, right. um, and the fact that he's going to be donating to charity for, for this is 
Maybe this is, you know, the the gateway drug. It's such nonsense. He's not paying any, he's not going to give any of the money. He's just not. It's going to be all saying he is. Part of me is like, I hope Mark beats the shit out of him. At the same time, I'm like, why do I hope Mark beats the shit? I feel bad about myself thinking that. Anyway, mm. speaking of people I don't feel bad about, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried sure. is having a bad month. Federal, You've written about him a lot. Federal prosecutors in New York believe uh, SBF deserves to have his bail revoked, saying there are no likely conditions he will abide by to stop witness tampering. It sounds like Trump a little bit. As evidence, prosecutors pointed to SBF already contacting potential witnesses and sharing personal documents belonging to his former girlfriend, Carolyn Ellison, with the New York Times. Reminder, Bankman-Fried pleaded not guilty to 13 charges and Ellison pleaded guilty to seven. Where are we with him now? He's sort of sitting at home at his parents in Palo Alto, right? Is that correct? He, he is for now. I mean, prosecutors mm-hmm. want to put him in jail until yeah. this October trial. You know, one one good rule of thumb for, for any leakers out there, when, when you leak, you generally don't want to tell people that you leaked. leaked Just right. like a general, general rule of thumb. You don't yeah. want to keep that. So, but, you know, Sam basically under... Uh, some some scrutiny from from prosecutors admitted that he leaked, Yuck. you know, this Google doc from Carrot Ellison to the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and now, in, in ex- you know, there's there's some similarities to Trump, right? Which Where, he's not supposed to, right? Explain. They're not supposed like with Trump, sure. he's supposed to not say, "You come at me, I'm going to come at you," or Jack Smith right. is deranged, whatever. Right. But there's the exact same tension between like free speech rights mm-hmm. and. Interfering with a trial, witness intimidation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, right. we're going to talk about Trump later. I mean, the idea but that he, he feels he is speaking his, his truth. Um, and Sam Bankman-Fried feels like I have a right to defend myself. Right. But there, there's a difference between like, remember the Substack posts he was doing mm-hmm. earlier this year where he's mm-hmm. you now going into the Alameda balance sheet, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, right. sure, that's free speech rights. But Carolyn Ellison is like the star witness in the trial, right? And she he's, is. She's like Pence. She kept extemporaneous <laughs> notes, yeah, apparently, right? Right. right. Um, I mean, this is also, I mean, the, this is obviously a self-serving explanation. So like mm-hmm. take this with a, with a pound of salt, but in the media, like we're, we're trying to get any intel we can. Why right? not? So the, yeah. Sure. So like, I, I don't blame the New York times for publishing it. Um, mm-hmm. and I do, I do believe that like, you know, defendants have a right to, to protect themselves, especially when you're kind of being prosecuted in this high profile trial. And mm-hmm. I think lots of people have probably convicted Sam Bankman freed already in their minds mm-hmm. the same way that like I feel like when Elizabeth Holmes was sentenced right. to jail, lots of people thought she was probably been in jail for five years, right? Because you right. sort of right. read sure. about the indictment, you forget about the details, right. and you mm-hmm. assume that the bad man did bad things. Mm-hmm. So I think Sam has a right to protect himself, but where's the line between protecting himself and witness intimidation? Yeah. Have you talked to him recently? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Um, I've talked to him a couple times over the last couple months. And how um, does he feel? It's a little you know, unmade bed up okay. Is he doing okay? You know, I think I, I think he'll be fine. How old is he? How old is he? He is he's thirty, he's my age. Yeah, because um, he looks like he's like a seven year old. He's 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 by the Stanford campus, you know. Mm-hmm. He has this seventy five pound German shepherd that's his his friend. You know, his parents are Mm-hmm. trying to live their lives as best they can. Yeah. You know, even though they're kind of implicated in well, some Well, they ways. are. They were very yeah. involved with him. Um, My God. You know, his brother, you know, he just got off on this campaign finance charge, which is it's yeah. huge news for, like, everybody in the political concentric circles around mm-hmm. Sam Bankman-Fried because, like, you know, he, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, Kara. I mean, he was spending so much money on politics. There were mm-hmm. so many people who were, like, implicated, yes. probably yeah. mo- n- none more than his brother, who right. obviously has the exact same last name, and mm-hmm. maybe he should change it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cause yeah. Campaign finance charges dropped, but like everyone's already thought, you know, he's he's guilty. But that's yeah. what people think. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't really feel sorry for him either. Um, but I, what I do feel good about is Barbie is worth a billion. Scott's not here, but I think I'll take a moment. Barbie's yeah. worth a billion. Oppenheimer's made about half that. Greta Gerwig has raked in more than a billion dollars at the global box office, making the first U.S. film directed by one woman to reach a billion dollar mark. You called Except, it. I called it. I did. What, what to what do you to what do you owe? You're just clairvoyant and, and it was, general it was, market savvy. It, you know, watching the Taylor Swift thing happening, there is a real power to women spending, like and young girls spending, and the love of someone like Taylor Swift. And this had a similar vibe to it, like girl. Mm-hmm. I hate to say girl power, but you know, it is. And it's it was also smart. I I thought it was a much more canny than people. It wasn't a silly frothy thing. If you go back the second time, you see a lot of things in it, and people were dying for something like this, like something that you could just enjoy, or you could also go, huh. That's an interesting yeah. point they're making. So I don't know. I just feel like it's a. Gr- it's also just a great movie. And Greta Gerwig's a fantastic director and writer. There's some similarities, I feel like, in, in, in tech where mm-hmm. lots of VCs for a long time just sort of cast aspersions around like women-focused industries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking about like makeup and glossy yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, where like, you know, people just assume that this is like the B leagues, right? Yeah, right, right, exactly. Right. Um, and the fact that, like, you know, obvious. I mean, this is an obvious point, but obviously, men are seeing this movie as well, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent, I think this is should be something of a wake up call to like Hollywood. But they, about it always does what, when, what sells. It's a fantastic movie. They right. just think it's some sort of outlier, which it's not. But we'll see. We'll see. I hope there's not a part two. I hope she doesn't do two. But anyway, let's get to our first big story. Donald Trump keeps breaking his own records for the number of times a former president has been indicted. He's now at three. Last week, a federal grand jury in Washington indicted Trump on four counts of conspiracy and obstruction related to his attempts to overturn the 2020 presidential election, which culminated in the January 6th insurrection. The indictment references his knowing lies about election fraud, recruitment of fake electors in the swing states, and obstruction of the Electoral College vote certifications and other possible indictment coming out of Georgia before the end of the month. Um, where are we with this? Because he, he seems to be trying to make hay out of this situation. Um, he's the leading presidential candidate. DeSantis is a distant sex and fading, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. you can talk a little bit about, there's a lot of tech supporters of, of DeSantis, for example. Um, I don't think there's any tech supporters of Trump anymore, but maybe not, I'm not wrong. Really. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these charges carry quite a lot of things. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit um, this 641 years because he's using it for fundraising. These white collar crimes never get that; they get like a, a fraction of it. So I'm even gonna let him do that. Like it's not he's not gonna be in jail for 641 years. It's like <laughs> what he may the, not even go if? to jail. I know, but he may even not go to jail because the secret. So he might have to like live around if he if he gets convicted. He's fundraising off these indictments at a, a Friday rally in Alabama. He says, anytime they file an indictment, we go way up in the polls. We need one more indictment to close out this election. I, I, what what do we think? I, I mean, that, that was some conventional wisdom that Trump was saying. I mean, like mm-hmm. the fact that like he's kind of right, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. just one one more indictment, two more indictments. And mm-hmm. every time, you know, uh every time he gets indicted, he raises. We'll talk to Frank about this who's coming up, but who's going to come up and talk to us. But because it's there's little signs that maybe not so much. Yeah. I mean when when you read the indictment, unlike the Stormy Daniels mm-hmm. Hush Money case or frankly the Mar-a-Lago documents case, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like the gravity of the charges really hits you. 
mm-hmm. in a way that like we we all experienced January 6th, right? I'm sure you can mm-hmm. like I'm sure you probably have cinematic uh, memory of like every phone call you took that day, every text, mm-hmm. which is obviously not true of like you know our our, our mutual experience mm-hmm. reading the Mar-a-Lago documents, our mutual mm-hmm. experience with with Stormy Daniels. So I feel like our our lived experience makes you know as the kids say like makes the January 6th indictment just feels so much more significant than anything else that's happened in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's like, I feel like reading it is also, it's a little bit of a, a testament to journalism, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so much of this has, has been, been reported, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's, ba- and like, I mean, you would think that there would be these huge scoops mm-hmm. um, like embedded in the document, but I, I feel like yeah. I read a lot of this in Maggie Hayward's reporting. It's a lot of reporting. details. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of, it's, it, absolutely. What, what's going on with DeSantis? Now, very few people in Silicon Valley supported Trump before. They were sort of near him. Like, I know Mark Zuckerberg met with him. Elon's met with him. They were on those councils. A lot of tech people were on those councils. They went to that famous 2016 meeting, which I I actually scooped that. You know, they were all there. At at Rico, yeah. Yes, yeah. Where is the support on the Republican side in in the people you cover? Look, I mean, I think um, I'd be hard-pressed right now to come up with a single personality in Silicon Valley who's excited about Donald Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it goes, it goes back to what I was saying uh, kind of in this in this post-Trump era, quote unquote, um, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, where where people can go back to being Republicans, like Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. can go back to being Mark Zuckerberg. He's not constantly thinking about Trump and, you know, how he's positioned vis-a-vis mm-hmm. Trump. Um, there is zilch. There is no one in Silicon Valley who I think is excited about Donald Trump. I mean, the, the, for a long time, and I'm, I'm eager to talk to Frank a little bit later on the show about mm-hmm. this, is like, I think lots of people in the industry who are conservative were flocking to DeSantis because he was the only game in town. And there was a feeling mm-hmm. like, you know, well, regardless of whether or not you thought abortion ends should happen at six weeks or 10 weeks or 20 weeks, it's like, if you don't like Donald Trump, this is the only person who seems to right. have a chance of winning. So who cares what you think about Tim Scott, David right? Sachs has given him money through that, whatever the hell pack he's got. And then yeah. others. Who is still with DeSantis? Who's with Tim Scott? Obviously, Larry Ellison was a big backer, early backer of Tim Scott. Where is the money? Where is the money going now since it looks like Trump probably has it wrapped up? I think Larry Ellison is going to be a huge story uh, of the next year for this me. This is the head least. of Oracle. Tell, tell is, me yeah, why. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, you know, I think there is a concern that Larry Ellison could be this cycles Shell Nadelson. I don't mean that in oh, a good way. I don't mean that in a good way. For <laughs> well, I never thought Shell Nadelson okay. was a good way. This is the Las Vegas, whatever the hell sure. he was. Uh, casino magnate who died, uh, uh, was it two or three years ago now? Yeah. Um, so Larry Ellison loves Tim Scott. Larry Ellison is an emotional guy who falls hard for people like Marco Rubio, BB mm-hmm. Netanyahu. He loves him some, some Tim Scott right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason he could be the Shell Nadelson of, of this t- of this time around is there are lots of Republicans who want to consolidate against Trump. We're going to talk about right. Frank a little bit later on. The, right. the, the the idea is there's going to be this great consolidation and that you know everyone's going to drop out and we're all yeah. going to find you know the white knight, whether it's Glenn mm-hmm. Youngkin or Ron DeSantis, and we're going to beat Trump because all the rich people in the world are going to pool together all of their money on their little text chain and mm-hmm. save democracy from Donald Trump. And then you've mm-hmm. got Larry Ellison over here who says. I am super committed to Tim Scott. No matter what happens, I'm going to spend a gajillion dollars to help this guy, which is just what Sheldon Adelson Through did. Through the packs. Yeah, yeah. Which is just what Sheldon Adelson did for Newt Gingrich in 2012. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like, Newt Gingrich had like negative 0.75 support, mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, but you know, he had one rich guy in his corner who prevented the consolidation. And then you mm -hmm. know, Mitt Romney won, and that was the Republican primary. Um, so there's lots of concern right now when I talk with major donors that like, how do we get Lowry to like, you know, sing from the same songbook here? So what songbook do they want to sing from? Because DeSantis has just been abandoned by one of his major billionaires. What's his name? Robert Bigelow. Yeah, what does he make yeah. money? Paper bags. He's a, he's a hotel, hotel guy, but he also okay. is. Um, he also is a, uh, a prominent uh, investor in, in UFO research. Whatever. So where are these this, these billionaire clubs? So they want to stop Ellison from doing it and backing DeSantis. I don't see it. I, I think they're abandoning DeSantis. The billionaires. Correct? Yeah. Well, well. So so the, the and, and is is Sachs and Elon doing that or not? Yeah, I feel like David Sachs is 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 much more powerful because of his his bark than his bite. And I mean that I mean that lovingly to to, to mm -hmm. David Sachs. I mean this is a, this is a guy who is like the amount of money he's spending on politics is like not that much. Let's be yeah. real. He is not Larry Ellison wealth. But I'm saying right? there there's like a group of people that are DeSantis fans, yeah. correct? There's yeah. all this hoopla around Elon and like is he going to fund this or that? Like mm -hmm. these people are actually pretty parsimonious. Mm -hmm. With political spending, I mean, Elon mm -hmm. is not like they're not spending billions of dollars. Like, no, he's just DeSantis. yapping his mouth. He's just yapping right, his mouth. Right, I'm right. aware. But I would argue that, that mm -hmm. is more important than Elon giving ten or twenty million bucks. The fact that like Elon is, you know, is a is goes beyond just being a billionaire. No, I don't think. I think the money matters and ads and ads. You know, people are hear not hearing as much being like he says things so much. But I, I don't think he's a political player in this regard. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think everyone goes, ah, Elon likes this. I think it's maybe negative. Oh, that, that asshole likes it. I'm going to go sure. this way. So who are they coalescing behind? Is there, who do you, if you had to guess, who would it be? Well, so right now we're recording this. It's in August, we're in August, 2023. Mm -hmm. And we're like in this, I think what you're getting at Karen, is we're in this, like it's early, but it's also this like transitional period where you know who donors do not support, but you don't know who the white knight is. I mean, I do think there's going to be lots of donor agita, around Glenn Youngkin after November mm -hmm. when, mm -hmm. um, you know, he hopefully, in, in his opinion, you know, helps flip the Virginia uh, legislature that mm -hmm. there's going to be like, oh, we just need we need someone else. Like, that's the classic fantasy that, you know, who you do not support, which, is, you know, that these donors do not feel that Ron DeSantis or, or you know, Vivek Nikki Ramaswamy Haley. or Nikki Haley, yeah. like, you know, there's going to be this dissatisfaction with the field. And I think like, you know, Glenn Youngkin's phone is going to be blowing up in, in, right. in November 15th to, to do this last minute save democracy push. But mm -hmm. the reason this all sounds like a fantasy, Kara, is this all feels so futile. You know, I'm just feeling like there is a sense when I talk with major Republican donors right now that we're just mm -hmm. like wasting our time, right? That yeah. Trump will be the Republican nominee, and you know, some billionaire will spend a couple million on person X. Who? Some other billionaire. Which billionaire will, billionaire will, will they all run to Trump then if he's the nominee or not? I mean, like, not to be too nihilistic, mm -hmm. it just feels like it just feels like all these people are wasting their time. That there is, you know, the Republican primary base seems unshakable, and mm -hmm. whether or not you know Larry Ellison spends fifty million or five hundred million or five hundred billion, like. Trump has shown from 2016 that he did not need these people. Um, mm -hmm. In 2020, like, I mean, you remember this. I mean, people were sucking up to him just because he was the only game mm -hmm. in town. He was also president. Right, right, sure. But, like, there was no credible Republican primary to Donald Trump right, in 2020. Right. Yeah, but they don't want to give the money. They don't want to give the money, correct? You mean big Republican donors? Yes, big Republican sure. donors. Sure. I mean, I mean, I mean, like, to, to do that, I think there will be a little bit of egg on the face just to admit that, you know, these donors are much more impotent than they make themselves feel. 
these people don't, I mean, like, you know, I think there's, you, you deal with all these guys. These, these all have huge egos. They mm -hmm. see themselves as political savants. Mm -hmm. The reality is 2016 demonstrated that. They don't know what the, they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Last question on this. Um, so sure. there's there's Trump. Wait, are they, is the money going elsewhere to governors? To Is there other people it's going to so they can at least have, or senators? Or is there any backers that's excited them in some way? Because that's another way to control things. You don't have to have the president necessarily. Sure. I mean, look, I mean, there are, there's uh, how many conversations have I had with major Republican donors during the Trump era who were just like, mm -hmm. well, I'm really focusing down ballot, blah, blah, blah. Ballot. It's like a way to pretend that you mm -hmm. live in this fantasy world where, you know, where uh, Republican Party is for low taxes and, and that's it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's going to be clearly some Republican excitement around Virginia um, after after so Youngkin. Youngkin, you, you say right. Youngkin. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, there's Virginia elections this year. Um, this if November. he wins, if he doesn't, then he looks like Right. Idiot. Then he then certainly he's, you know, certainly he's not running for president if, if he gets cream. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think there's, yeah. you know, uh, this 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 feels, though, if you're a Republican donor, 2024 feels like maybe the last gasp of 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 donors thinking that they can control the process. Like, right. The 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 big opinion or the conventional wisdom in politics, right, that's popularized by Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. is that politicians are beholden to their donors, you know, the billionaires, yeah. No, the Trump's not beholden to any of them. He's but not. like, I think the- He could the, use the, the money. He could use the money. That's all. Sure. But I just feel like the the way the politics really works and and, and, and way the donor, donor politics really mm -hmm. works is that it's really donors, it's really politicians fooling donors into thinking mm -hmm. that they have influence and less yeah. like donors capturing so politicians. So the dog is wagging the tail this time. A little bit. Um, so who's who's lining up for Biden? Who's lining up in that space? Reid Hoffman. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, I was going to say, you're a, you're a huge Reid Hoffman fan, right? Yes, I am. Um, yeah, I like him. I mean, Not huge, I would say. I, I Well, you know, the bar is so low, so sure. Right. I was going to sure. say, I was going to say relative to the other I PayPal guess. mafia folks. Yeah. Oh, well, well, uh, yeah, yeah. So who is um, is Reed and who else? They seem yeah. enthusiastic for Biden. I mean, Reed, Reed, um, I think is the most creative political actor in Silicon Valley. For mm -hmm. and I say that for good and for ill. I mean, Reed obviously stepped in it a lot over the last yeah. eight years, but he, you know, is the yeah, most. Yeah, he keeps recovering. And and yeah, Carroll. definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Is there anybody else coming to the fore now that Sam Bankman Fried's on, on say, house I, I was arrest? Say, I was going to say, like, have you heard of this guy named Sam Bankman-Fried? It could be the yeah. new big thing in Democratic politics. Um, you know, I think the a big story over the last couple of years has been Dustin Moskovitz, right, mm -hmm. who is one of the other founders of Facebook. Someone else I like um, quite a bit. Yeah, I like Dustin, mm -hmm. too. And, and, you know, he has popularized, like, a different approach to political philanthropy, mm -hmm. where he sort of, like, you know, he— we, uh, we we don't have to go revisit all of the follies of effective altruism uh, mm -hmm. that Sam Beckman-Fried has reminded us all of. But Dustin Moskovitz is sort of like the grown up in that in that world, and you know he believes that if you have a dollar, right, and you can donate it to procuring a malaria, mm -hmm. an anti-malarial bed in Africa, mm -hmm. you know that's probably a better use of money than trying to elect Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. But what if the threat to the world isn't? Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, but the threat to the world is like Trump nuking the mm -hmm. entire world or, or um, mm -hmm. yeah. hypothetically like a pathogen that kills, you know, mm -hmm. millions of people, hypothetically, that then maybe the dollar is better spent on politics. So yeah. Dustin's a huge, a huge player in this world, too. I like him a lot, actually. I think he's really interesting and smart. And his wife 
also is involved. Former uh, journalist. Uh, former journalist, Carrie Tuna. All right, Teddy, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about opposition research in politics, and we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Frank Luntz. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. One of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Teddy, I want to talk about your story from July, which I thought was really terrific, about opposition research campaign against Peter Thiel, the billionaire co-founder of PayPal, who's been a big Republican donor who is sitting it out, right? Seems to be not, yes? Yeah, yeah. I think it's broadly fair to say, yeah. Yeah, but and reason, because he's like, doesn't like, just is sick of it, right? It's sort of, he didn't spend that much money, by the way. He got a lot of, he got a lot of throughput for his $30 million, essentially. Yeah. Opposition researchers dig up dirt on political candidates. This is very common these days. That's extending to their top donors. Well, again, I'm not surprised. Why wouldn't you? Your story is centered on one man in particular, a model named Jeff Thomas. Teal was in a relationship with him. The opposition researchers wanted to interview Thomas to see if he had any information he could use against Teal. The opposition researchers, led by a Democratic political offer named Jack Fury, hounded the guy, as you wrote. Um, talk about this. I was I I, I have a, an issue with this because like these are all adults, okay? And I get that he had he was mentally um, fragile. I think because he ended up. Killing himself. His death was rendered a suicide. Suicide, right. So yeah. um, 
and then, of course, there are all the conspiracy theories, which are outlandish, I thought. But talk a little bit about this. The story here is Peter Thiel, who obviously has become a major player in Republican politics. Mm-hmm. You're totally correct, though. The, like David Sachs, bark bigger than the bite. But he spent 30, 40 million, right? And he yeah, got. Yeah, but he got, got one guy elected. Yeah, got one yeah, guy. Sure. J- yeah. J.D. Vance, Blake Masters yeah. is not, yeah. is not yeah. in the Senate. And he was so, integral to Trump, too. He introduced Silicon Valley people to Trump. I don't know how effective sure. that was, but that he was their, his guy for a while. Right. And he's become disillusioned with Trump, I'm pretty sure, correct? Correct. So Peter has become a target of the left. And this is not to, like, you know, break out her violin for, you know, one of the richest people in the world, you know, having to deal with some, some meanie liberals who are, you know, looking into his personal life. But there were meanie liberals like into his personal life. Let me also be clear. He was mean sure. to liberals. Like, come on. He like attacked. He, he saw a suit against the media just because he was had it in a peak. This is a big boy, a big rich boy. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and so that let's just make that clear. But go ahead. Well, well I mean, we, the, the question is, like, where is the line mm-hmm. in, in, in opposition research? Right. Um, mm-hmm. or, or frankly, where is the line in, in, in journalism about, you know, what sort of things in someone's personal life? Are merit for publication or merit for attack mm-hmm. versus, you know, just letting people's private lives be their private lives. And Kara, I remember, sure. I remember, you know, you and I have talked about this privately, just like the sense about like what in like the Me Too era, like is worth publication. Right. And we and, left a lot out at Recode. We were very. Right. Um, yeah. We did, because if it didn't have if it had a direct issue with the business, like we did write about Sergey Brin's affair because it had a direct impact. Otherwise, the stuff I know, I'd be, I was like, I don't care if they're taking drugs. I don't care right. if they're having an affair. I don't care. I don't. Uh, we never did. And we knew about it, but we didn't write about it. Right. But you have the bar of a journalist, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you were an opposition researcher who is, you know, working to elect Democrats, your bar might be very different, right? You, like, right. You, you, there's no international association of oppo researchers that are mm-hmm. going like, to cens- censure you right. like, or, right. or remove your credentials. Like, anything kind of goes. And I feel like what's happening now with Peter Thiel is like people are looking into how he kind of conducts himself. And mm-hmm. there was this group of, of oppo researchers who were in West Hollywood trying to interview men who like go to Peter Thiel's parties. Might he know has about. a lot of parties. I don't think that's any big secret. I don't care. Good for yeah. him. But you can see why if you are a liberal who believes that Peter Thiel is a, you know, capital mm-hmm. th- T threat to democracy, it's like, sure. let's go get this guy, right? And, and, yeah, and there so, was... so why is this a surprise? I think this is this happened to Clinton's. This has happened to George Bush. There was a look into his affairs. There's like, this is not a new, fresh thing for opposition research. So tell I me th- why this is different. And let me, j- just for people who don't know, this guy, Jeff Thomas, I actually did follow him because I was aware oh, really? of this relation. Sure. He told Peter about this, Peter Thiel, which he wrote. He Peter asked him to move out of the home he was paying for. Sometime later, he, he dies by suicide. Yeah, that's right. This is tragic. But what is the blame here? And I, I think opposition research is just going to get worse than it has. Totally. But it's already been pretty bad from what I get. I mean, watching the Clintons, watching the... And some of it might be true about them, by the way, a lot of this stuff. So, I, you know, I wouldn't ever do it and I wouldn't do stories on it. But... Certainly a lot of people would these days. I think what's new, Kara, is that mm-hmm. this is now people are now going after donors oh, in okay. a way. In a way that like like look, obviously people have enemies, right? Everyone's got right. enemies. Bill Clinton has mm-hmm. enemies, you know, there are people who look into everyone's personal mm-hmm. life since the beginning of time. And when you talk with defenders of the Oppo research campaign, as I mm-hmm. did, they say like they're going after George Soros. 
You know, mm-hmm. they're yes, they're they going are. after tons of well-meaning liberals and looking into their mm-hmm. personal lives. Like anything yeah. goes. I, I do feel like the bar has gotten so, so low, mm-hmm. um, especially in, in Oppo, where, you know, the way that Oppo used to work for people who read the news is like, you know, if you see some story that says Joe Manchin didn't pay his taxes according to records or his daughter the, is this and that. Yeah, right. Like, 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 let's 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 cut the bullshit here. Like reporters are not coming up with that idea. Like most of the time that was fed to them mm-hmm. by an oppo person. Sure. And then you write the story and like the story is true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a win win. The journalist gets a scoop. The oppo person gets their hit as they're known in, in, in the oppo mm-hmm. world. The way that oppo is working now, and I think the story illustrates it, is like oppo researchers going on Instagram and messaging mm-hmm. other gay men in West Hollywood and trying to get mm-hmm. them to leak screenshots of their, you know, conversations with Peter Thiel. That's like human intelligence as you know, right. people in, in spycraft would call that. Like that's different than like Which high I school suspect yearbooks. spies were also looking at because of his closeness to all these powerful people. Like I, sure. I imagine people are doing it on all these people. And I, I I'm not I guess I'm just not surprised. And he's this is a guy who stuck his head far above the parapet. It's not someone who's just like hanging yeah. around giving money. He's been very loud. He's been very present. He's sitting next to Trump at a giant tech meeting. Is there something wrong with that? Because in like when I think of corporate people, you know, I don't know, there was that story when Don Lemon, that one before he was fired, I was like, oh, look, he's going to get fired. Like I'm seeing this dribbity drab. You see it with media executives all the time. I actually even called them. I said, you're going to get fired. There's opportunity. I was like, yeah, because I was like, come on. It's so obvious because in that particular story, it was 20 years ago. I was like, so they've been digging. Someone's been digging up some stuff. Is that wrong, do you think? Or I don't know. You seem to think it was wrong in the piece or that it had a responsibility to the suicide. I think that there's... uh... It, it really it's it's hard to talk about this without really going into every allegation, which we can't mm-hmm. really do, which is definitely no. a, a challenge of the piece for sure. Mm-hmm. But like the reality is like there is some line between personal life that is relevant to the public interest and personal life that is not right. I mean, you're saying, mm-hmm. for instance, like there are things that recode where person X is having an affair and it could be salacious and tawdry and would get clicks. And mm-hmm. like maybe you could squint and argue it's relevant to the business, whatever that never means. did. Right. But then there's like, you know, the Sergey and, you know, um, mm-hmm. Uh, news, which I definitely do think was the right call to publish about that. Mm-hmm. And like, and I, I really feel like we're in this anything goes era now in Oppo, mm-hmm. where where there's no real repercussions for anything. Because right. like, also in the journalism side, there's always someone who's going to publish it, right? I mean, a lot of the story that I wrote about centers on Ryan Grimm at The Intercept. And that's yeah. obviously an ideological outlet, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't have to get your Oppo published in the New York Times. Like, you know, there right. was this huge story uh, a couple weeks ago where, you know, th- these random anonymous accounts on Twitter were like tweeting these DeSantis videos with Nazi imagery. You remember this stuff? Mm-hmm. And like there's no there's no punishment for some random anonymous cat turd to tweeting a video like you mm-hmm. don't even know who these people are. Yeah, but this is what Trump does publicly. They're all doing it. I just I, I know, feel like. I I feel like they do it and it's going to get worse just the way, you know, and some of it's for the good. Me Too stuff was oppo research, if you really think about it, right? Some of it yeah. finally out, out there. And it did have pertinence, right? It did have pertinence. And it seems to me, if you stick your head that far, you're going to have people looking into you. I just don't even know why they think they're not going to. Either in the old days, it was you got blackmailed, right? Or yeah. or you had to leave your job or something like that. In this case, you know, especially with the attacks on Soros and many others, I'm sort of like, mm, well, guess what? Guess what you did? And I think you had a quote from Peter saying that, I guess, 
Now yeah, I feel Peter, bad for Hillary Clinton, for, right? No, for, for Anita Hill. Anita Hill. Uh, yeah, I, know. I know. I was like, oh, I mean, my God. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. P- you know, P- Peter, Peter, again, billionaires love to see themselves as the victims of, yeah. of the meanie liberals. The comparison to Anita Hill, though, was, was precious. I know, but I was like, you were a pretty tough, sharp-elbowed dude. Like, you're not, and you sh- use those. Sh- anyway, very interesting story. I thought it was fascinating. It brings up a lot of things. And again, it's a tragic death of Jeff Thomas um, in any case. And, and you should read it. It's on Puck. It's, it made me think a lot. And I was trying to think if it was fair or not to say, to, you know, to do opera. I, I came to the conclusion, yes, it is. Yes, it okay. is. These people are are trying to wield power. And if they're trying to wield power, Good luck to them. You know fire what I mean? Fire with fire. Right? Fire with fire. And, and again, the, the George, I could name 20 different big Democratic donors that get targeted. But anyway, let's, speaking of which, speaking of power, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Frank Luntz is a communications consultant and pollster. He has conducted over 2,500 surveys and focus groups in more than two dozen countries. I've just found out my son loves Frank Luntz. I had no idea, um, and does my mother, as usual. You've had some really uh, interesting polls out lately. But first of all, you just got back from Ukraine. You were there, what, 24 hours? Is that correct? Uh, Less. I was, um, I spent 10 hours on the ground in Kiev. It took almost 48 hours to get there, almost 48 hours to get back. I had the chance to meet with the President Zelensky, and it was a eye-opening experience. I think to Why myself, so? because I'm Ukrainian. Both of my grandparents on my mother's side, both my grandparents on my father's side are Ukrainian. Wow. So they're, they're but for the grace of God go I. And I've been to Ukraine five or six times already. And every time I left, I wanted to call my grandparents and say to them, thank God, thank you so much for deciding to come to America, for deciding to risk it all and and make a difference in the people who came after you. I am so blessed that they made that tough decision. And I think of how hostile we are to immigration in this country. I think of... I don't understand the darkness and the meanness and the divisiveness. And I don't understand this seeming love of Putin or love of Russia when they're doing so much destruction and damage and and really destroying a people. I don't get it. Yeah. So you went there to visit and to understand what was happening on the ground, right? Had you been there before the beginning of these hostilities? Yes. This is, I think this is either my fifth or sixth time. It's a beautiful country with beautiful people and it's being destroyed. I went to to meet with this uh, child organization, this defensive children organization, because they're stealing kids and taking them into Russia. I they paid. Are. I paid homage to the people in the various communities who had given their lives to to support their country. And there are these Republicans who seem to be pro-Putin. I don't get it. I don't understand. This is not the country that I grew up in. This is not the party that I that I joined 40 years ago. 
hard to believe it's been that long. So talk about that. Why are they doing that? Is it politics? Let's switch to politics. Um, why do they think, and it's not just them, it's uh, Teddy and I have written about Elon Musk and a whole bunch of people are seemingly pro-Putin, anti, or not anti, I don't know, because he's also doing Starlink there. So there's a real movement politically among Republicans to do so. Not everybody by, by a stretch. Lindsey Graham's very supportive of Ukraine. Lots of Republicans are. Why has that happened from your perspective politically? In two words, Donald Trump. In early in this conflict, he talked about Putin being brilliant. And I urge listeners who don't want to hear this, go back to the original speeches of Donald Trump in the opening of the war and how he praised Russia. He praised Putin. He said, this makes total sense. He's a brilliant strategist. Of course he would do this. And even now, even now, He's trying to force Ukraine, or he would force Ukraine, to make peace when their country's been invaded, their people have been killed, their infrastructure's been destroyed, children have been suffering. And in essence, there are people within the Republican Party who want Ukraine to give, to capitulate. It's not their fault. And this is part of what's wrong in politics right now, is that I don't believe the public knows the truth. I don't believe that they actually understand what's going on there, because if they did, they would have a different point of view. I'm sure I sound to a listener like I've like I've lost control, but I have to tell you, every time you and I talk, it's worse than the time before. The combination right. of social media, of AI, of politics, of division, of hate towards each other, it's getting worse. And I think that we're gonna lose control between now and election day. And I don't know if we can withstand it. I don't know. All right. Well, talk about that. How do you get those? So Trump's shifted people's opinions here. And ordinarily, most people, Americans would be like the Russians. No, thank you. What does it take to get them off that bandwagon and following that? I think it's a skill that people don't focus on. And it's not words. So what brought me to prominence is not what helps bring about the change. I think you have to see it. I think you have to feel it. I think you have to experience it, which means the pictures become more important than the language. What you show and what people see is more powerful than what they hear. So that's change number one. Number two is they have to understand, in a word, consequences. What are the consequences should Russia win? What are the consequences should Ukraine win? Because it's not just about those countries. And frankly, it's not even just about China. It's about us as human beings. Do we fully understand the consequences of ChatGBT, of AI, of technology? Do we understand the content? And I don't believe we do. And I think that that's got to be a change, that we have to start looking at the impact of our decisions. So, so, so you do polls one after the other, and it doesn't seem to be moving in that direction, as you said. They don't seem to care about the legal woes in Trump's case. They listen to him on Ukraine. It doesn't seem like any Republican candidates have a chance of beating him at this point. He can beat himself, I guess. That's the way it goes. Where are we right now? From You've done a lot of poll groups. I've been following them. They shift back and forth in, a, in an interesting way. But give us a sort of roundabout of where we are right now. On the Let's focus on the Republican side. Uh, on the Republican side, Ron DeSantis, the governor, and he said to me in Iowa that I'm too critical of him. So let me say something in support of his candidacy. He has the best advertising of any candidate, uh, a, a one-minute ad that talked about how our culture is changing, how the things that we came to take for granted aren't what they used to be, and it's really, really impactful. That said, 
Republicans don't want government choosing winners and losers. They don't want weaponization. If they don't like it from Joe Biden, they're not going to like it from a Republican either. So DeSantis' numbers all across the country have been deteriorating. In his place in Iowa, Tim Scott is rising. And in New Hampshire, Chris Christie is rising. Different states, different electorates, different priorities, different candidates. At this point, we have never had on either the Republican or the Democratic side someone with this much of a lead that doesn't get the nomination. So you're correct there. But I got to tell you, as I look at this, as I listen to the words, the phrases, the emotions, the passion of that Trump vote, I don't know if anything can change it. I don't know if if even great debate performances in August, September, October, November will change this outcome. And here's why. Trump is perceived as a victim. He's perceived as being persecuted. His enemies are the same enemies as the average Republican. And so every time he gets indicted, his numbers go up. And people have, are just not willing to hear an alternative narrative right now. They get their information from from sources that affirm them rather than inform them. The people they talk to are all in a silo. And this is a much bigger issue that I know you deal with. I know this podcast deals with. Mm -hmm. We're screwed as a society because we can't even listen to people that aren't affirming what we already believe. Okay. Teddy? Frank, a very memorable campaign for me to cover was I covered the Wendy Davis campaign in 2014 which she lost by, I think it was 21 points. And that that race has kind of put a stamp in my mind about how races are covered and whether or not, what, what it means for a race to be quote unquote competitive. We all cover that race in Texas, one of the Houston Chronicle, like it was a five point race. And that means covering this ad or that ad, or why is Wendy Davis visiting Houston or Dallas, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she lost by 21 points. And I felt like we all wasted our time covering this race because she was never gonna win. I'm thinking about the Republican primary right now and whether or not reporters and frankly, like people like us are wasting our time where we're, we're, we're arguing about Tim Scott rising in Iowa or Chris Christie rising in New Hampshire and going from 5% to 10% or DeSantis firing a third of his staff, like whatever the news of the day is. Do you think there actually is a Republican primary at this point? Like, like, like let me put it this way. Would you call the Republican primary competitive? At this moment, you're correct. At this moment, it isn't. But we've never had a president who, in the middle of this campaign, based on when the trials are scheduled, he could be found guilty. He could be heading to prison, technically, in the middle of the campaign. So how can you not cover it this way? How can you not hear from every voice? And my, my issue, I'm glad you raised it, is that the people who are supposed to keep us sane, the people who are supposed to tell us the truth and interpret what's happening has lost all credibility, all trust. And it shouldn't be that way. And I'm going to say something that's heretical. I need the New York Times. I need the Washington Post. I need the Wall Street Journal because they're the ones who will say, wait a minute, Mr. Former President, what you say is not true. But if the public won't believe your reporting, if they won't believe either what you say, how you say it, or what you choose to say, then we really are screwed. And that's the source of this. And you can you can hear it in my voice. That's the source of this 
angst, that's the source of this frustration, is that there's no way to bring accountability into this election because the people who are supposed to do it, the FBI, the intelligence, the Justice Department, everything has been politicized and polarized. And I'm using screwed because I don't want to use the F word on the radio. You can use the F word. It's not the radio. You can use the F word. So according to Quinnipiac University poll, nearly half of all Americans would consider voting for a third party. You brought that in. You did focus groups with some of them. Why don't we see those numbers supported in actual elections? I I was thinking this yesterday. I was like, there just kind of has to be a third party now, you know, especially among disaffected Republicans, at least, and maybe some Democrats. Can you talk a little bit about that happening, whether it's no labels or whoever? What kind of impact does that have? I think no labels could have a significant impact. But the key is that it's not another party. It's not. It cannot be political. It cannot be bipartisan. It has to be nonpartisan. It cannot be the best of the Democrats, the best of the Republicans. It has to get around all that because if it's political, that is part of the same thing that the public is saying enough. And in fact, if you ask me, what is the one word that describes how the most Americans feel right now about our politics, about the election, about a system of government? It's enough with an exclamation point. And No Labels has the opportunity through whichever candidate ends up running at Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin's perfect, but he's not the only one. Maybe John Sununu from New Hampshire, maybe Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii, even a Mark Cuban, even a business person. But it's not bipartisanship. It's nonpartisan, nonpolitical, nontraditional. It's someone who truly comes from outside the system, has the experience that would enable them to do the job because the thing after not being political, they want results. By the way, it's not getting things done. Getting things done is the process. They want actual results. And the third value that we're looking for is the truth. This person better not be political, better not have been shown to say one thing and do another. If you can show accountability, results, and the truth, you're credible. Frank, I, I had one question on, on on polling regarding no labels and just third party candidates in general. I, I feel like there is a very uh, intense attachment to the center right, you know, low taxes, but keep uh, you know keep abortion rights. This hypothetical candidate when we talk about it, right? And and I think this shows up in polling, like at a time like now, right? It's August twenty twenty three. Um, this we're talking about polling an election that's, you know, 16 or, or 14 months away. Do you feel like there's any sign in, in kind of polling that people might like that sort of candidate theoretically, but then like when they actually go to yep. vote, you know, they're just like driven by partisanship and it's like, sure, they could be, you know, a Wall Street Republican, but they vote for Trump anyway. Or this is our choice. We got, uh, I'd like something other than Coke and Pepsi, but I guess that's what I have to pick, right? right. That I guess I'm, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering whether that polling is overstating these people's appeal. Absolutely not. This is different. You have a president who is 80 years old, who's asking for support for when he's 86 years old. You have another candidate who's asking support when the guy's being indicted, seems like every week for another crime. And the public is looking at both these candidates and saying, no, both of you, go away, give us something different. I work for Ross Perot, so I've been through this on a personal level back in 1992. And Ross Perot 
ended up with 19% of the vote, and he was certifiably crazy. Think of what has happened since 1992, how much more negative we are, how much less optimistic we are, how much that we believe that the two-party system is broken. It's not working for people because nothing that they're looking for is getting done, and both sides demonize each other. If Ross Perot can get 19% of the vote, and as I say this, I'm so emotional that I'm actually spitting all over my computer. If Ross Perot can get 19%, an independent candidate can get at least 25, even 30%. Can they win? I don't think so. But you right. cannot count them out. Count them out. Okay. When you talk about that, it's kind of, it's one of the things that tends to happen is that, I, and it, our history, we've had this happen. Parties change, that there are, there have been several different shifts. Do you imagine this is one of those times? And how does it actually come about? Because, you know, in the case of, you are sort of comparing Donald Trump with Biden. He has passed some significant legislation compared to most presidents, by the way. It doesn't seem to sink in with people or he doesn't get credit for it. Inflation is now at 3%. You know what I mean? It's Things have calmed down considerably. He's not going to get it because of the age thing, pretty much. That's the big rap on him, correct, is his age. Not his that they don't like him or that they don't think he's effective, correct? Or am I wrong about that? But but Donald Trump also has a significant set. He brought our attention to China, which no previous president, Republican or Democrat, had done. He addressed the issue of of economic development. We were having uh, quarter after quarter after quarter of serious, significant economic growth. The unemployment rate under Trump, they said it could never get that low, and it did. So Trump himself can point to this. The reason why they don't. But he doesn't. He spends a lot of time talking about election fraud. Exactly. So instead of focusing on, okay, I did this. This is step one. Let's now focus on the future. He's so trapped in 2020 that not only do I think that he would lose if he's the Republican nominee, I think he would bring the entire Republican Party down with him. The American people don't want to look backward. It's part of what makes us uniquely American. We're focused on the future. And he's creating this sense of resentment and revenge that also wasn't really a part of our culture, and it's now become that way. And that's my criticism. That's my focus. So you just said you don't think he can win. I have to tell you, uh, several of my Trumpy uh, relatives are tired of him. They really are, and they weren't before. They absolutely weren't. They're like, I think he might be guilty. Like they are, it's getting through. I know you don't think it is, but I think it is with not the crate, not the ones that go and buy all the hats. That's a different group that's never going to change. But the ones that were like, I liked his tax thing. I like the, I like the China thing. I like this. They're all like, what a fucking loud mouth pain in the ass. And I think he's probably a criminal. And they, that's what they think. Now, I don't know who they're going to vote for. I don't think they'll vote for him. I don't think they'll vote for anybody actually that's, is what and- I. And that's why Joe Manchin suddenly becomes a viable option. But I need Yeah, they to, would vote for him. They so I'm glad that you raised this because I've been unable to present this on cable news. Those who want to sink Donald Trump aren't doing it the right way. If you insult his supporters, they will never leave him. If you demonize the good stuff, they won't hear the bad stuff. I, I keep saying to to anyone who will listen, if you want to indict him for criminal behavior, don't give him five days to define what that di- indictment is about. He doesn't play by the same rules. He doesn't act the way any other candidate acts. So you have to understand that. And it's not about killing him with kindness, 
but it's but demonizing is not going to get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Which although Biden's been quiet, hasn't he? He has been quiet. He hasn't like sure. he hasn't gone on the offensive against him on that at all. I haven't heard a word. I haven't heard a word from him about this indictment at all. He's He's on the beach. He's riding his bike around. That's my impression. He's nervous because of what is happening with uh, Hunter Biden. With Hunter, right. And it's, um, I just think that we've weaponized politics to a degree that, and I recognize we did the same thing 150 years ago. The campaign against Grover Cleveland in 1892 was vicious. The campaign against Thomas Jefferson in 1800 was vicious, but- Remember it well. We didn't have social media. Well, Joe Biden remembers it all. We did not have (laughs) social- (laughs) Trump is three years younger, but go ahead, keep going. But he acts so much younger. He's still old. Social. We didn't have social media. We didn't have AI. We didn't have the ability to only collect news from one perspective and I think that it, it's just making everything so much worse. Do you get the sense, Frank, that any regular Americans are able to recall or, or frankly, just string together a couple sentences about kind of the, 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 the legal fracas that Trump finds himself in right now? And I, I ask that because I, I, I think as a, as, a news, as a news consumer, I'm like somewhat concerned that just the, the cacophony of different Trump-related legal scandals right now, there's now three indictments, there could be a fourth indictment coming out of Georgia right now. You know, legal stories in general are like difficult to follow, right? Filing, motion dismiss, you know, maybe it's going to go to a different judge, a different courtroom, you know, there's going to be like four overlapping stories at the exact same time. And I know that like to the average, you know, news consumer, they might just be generally aware that like, oh, Trump is in legal trouble, period. And like the details don't really matter. Um, but I also wonder if that could be bad for democracy, that if there could be a sense that like all of this just sort of mer- merges into one like general details don't matter, deep state out to get Trump, like that it's not actually persuading people because there's too almost too many indictments and and too much chaos. Um, and maybe that works to Trump's advantage. And it's, it's hard as, as journalists to like write about these things in a digestible way because there's almost too much happening, and I wonder if Trump can take advantage of that. Well, first, I always target my language to everyday, ordinary Americans. I don't call them normal Americans. I don't call them regular Americans because that's pejorative and that's harmful. If they're everyday, ordinary Americans, that's you and me. By the way, this stuff mm-hmm. does matter. So the listener will not be able to see that that how I'm looking or how you look and what you say, but it does matter. Second, is that the key has to be to clarify so that it's, it's, you're trying to simplify something that's very complicated. And third, you can't be shown to having a point of view. You can present the evidence. You can present the facts, which is actually more important than the evidence and do so and lay it out first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Frankly, the newspapers have an advantage the first time in modern, in the last 10 years, because they can actually print it. And people can see 0.1, all 10 points. But I've been looking and they're not doing it. Everything you mean, seems you mean, to, you mean print the indictment, you mean actually themselves. Actually, or explain print, it, clarify ex, it. Explain it point by point by point. What enumerate one, two, three, four, five. When well, they have it, it. That's not it, true. The Times did it and so did the Post for just, but, just soon. But they have to keep on doing it. By the way, one time. And then you have all the criticism of it day after day after day. 
One time doesn't do it. It has to be some sort of repetition. It is not being communicated in a way that people hear it, and therefore it will fail. You don't have a choice here. If you want the public to be fully informed and understand what's at stake, you have to communicate in their language, using their words, using the method that they receive it, not yours, not mine, just theirs. Okay. I have one more question. You were talking about social media and AI and chat DBT. What impact do you think it's going to have? What is the most important element from the tech point of view? Is it the tech billionaires giving money? Is it the social media? Is it Twitter? I think Twitter's sort of fallen on harder times and that I don't think it's as relevant as it was. Who do you think is the big decider here, the most influential part of the system right now? And I actually don't look at it that way. Okay. I'm in a relentless pursuit of the truth, wherever it may take me, which means that I criticize people who I used to support. It means I support those who I once criticized. People will not know the truth with the combination of social media and AI and the way that everything is changing. You were at an event I was at. You heard my voice on the screen and they played something I did not believe. And it sounded mm -hmm. like my voice. I had people standing around me saying, did you say that? Obviously, I hadn't. The truth is in jeopardy. The truth, the facts. And that is the, that is the warning that I give everyone listening, that you're not going to be able to know what is fact and what is fiction unless we figure out some way. And I'll acknowledge something to you. I have talked to representatives, senators, and congressmen that they have to get this under control, that they cannot just say it's freedom of speech, cannot be regulated, because if I, we if we let You're this, talking my language, Frank. You know I've been doing it for a decade. Like, yes, and you and and actually your ideas and your philosophy behind it with my language and messaging, we might actually save democracy because and I <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious about this. I okay. think that this could be the last election that we have wow. as a country if we don't Whoa. get our act together. Whoa. All right. So your prediction, I was going to say what last happens election. in 2050. Last election is your prediction it's if we don't get it together. It's not my prediction, but I'm saying that just as the, the experts say that there's a 15% chance that AI could destroy the world. Well, there's a 15% chance that it could destroy American democracy. And it's not just happening here, it's happening in other countries across the globe. Democracy right. is under attack, and we need to find some ways to to ensure that it survives and thrives. All right, give me, I'm gonna then make you end on a high, what is that thing we need to do? Legislation, is it uh, what? Because it's quite powerful. You know I have great concerns about it. Uh, there has to be legislation that that you cannot tell people that the vaccines are unsafe when it's a lie, that you can't, that this is affecting how we think about health. It's affecting our behavior. And this is just the beginning. What happens in the next pandemic? And because of, of AI, these narratives that are simply false are spread throughout the population. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we have an economic meltdown? And AI, it starts to blame certain people. It starts to make accusations that are simply factually untrue. I'm on the side, at least, let's make sure that our children are not poisoned. Let's make sure that young people, that we have some sort of controls in social media so that 
a 10-year-old or 12-year-old is not being fed information that causes her to believe that she's fat, that causes her to want to take drugs, that causes her to behave in a way that's damaging to her. The young women and young men in this country, they can't defend themselves. They're 10, 12 years old. They don't know the difference. Let's at least start with legislation to affect young people, and then we'll deal with the adults later. Well, Frank, optimistic as always. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Give me one optimistic thing. You have to. I'm sorry. I'm going to make you. Okay. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles were my baseball team when I was a kid. Uh-huh. I, I have left them over the last 20, 25 years to, to support other teams. Uh-huh. My, my sense of optimism is if the Baltimore Orioles can actually have a winning season, then America can survive. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. Frank, as usual, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's my honor. Well, Teddy, that was a a dose of sunshine and daffodils. Uh, Swisher lunch uh, 2028. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I know. He's he's changed quite a bit, let's just say. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, he said combine your technical know-how with his messaging ability. Yeah. Mr. Contract um, of America feels a little liberal, more liberal than sure, me. Sure, sure, sure. Interesting. Anyway, I think he's 100% right about Ukraine. It's, it's, a, it's an existential issue. The Russians are really thugs. Anyway, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Okay, Teddy, let's hear some wins and fails. Why don't you go first? Sure, let's do, um, can we start with a win? Yes, please. Um, you can start with whatever you want. You're such a positive fella. Let's 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 do Sean Hannity. Um, oh, a win. Sean, I know rare 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 positive mention for for, for our mm-hmm. friend Sean. Um, I think that this debate. I love that you call everyone your friend. None of these sure. people are my friend. Of, friend friend of pivot, Sean Hannity. Um, <laughs> He's welcome I, I feel, to come on. Yeah, I will. Um, I feel like this debate with 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 Gavin Newsom and Ron mm-hmm. DeSantis is going to make Sean Hannity relevant. In, in the the the, the word of Washington, I think he Relevant. likes Gavin Newsom. Sure, I, I mean could, it was a little doesn't? bit I, of it was a little flirty that interview. <laughs> a little because Gavin is has a has a has a is a handsome man. Let's just say, and I was like, does John Hannity have a little man crush on this guy? I think he does. Um, so so Hannity. Uh, obviously, is like when's last like when's the last time we thought about Sean Hannity in 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 the Tucker Carlson era of Fox, where this was the dominant personality. Mm-hmm. Like Hannity, just like was not relevant at all. Right. And for the first time, people are talking about Sean Hannity. Which, if you're Sean right. Hannity uh, or you're Sean Hannity's friends or agents, mm-hmm. like you're just happy to be talked about. Um, yeah. It really does. It really does seem like the, that debate is happening, right? I mean, yeah. both yeah, are now arguing. You know, when Hannity's not such a giant asshole, he's not a bad interviewer, honestly, when he's really? not just sucking up. Yeah, I I, I hate to say it, but I, when he does a good job, he does a good job. Like, he's not bad and he asks good questions. He just, he, what he lets is when Trump does an interview, lets everything slide, that's all. And then you're like, come on. And you can, you can see it in his head, like, I really need to say something, but I'm not hmm. going to because I really enjoy, you know, the suck-uppery. But, um, right. but it, that, I thought the Gavin Newsom interview was actually quite good. 
Uh, I think they, I think they both, I thought it was well done actually in that case. And I thought Gavin gave as good as he got in that situation. So what do you think is going to happen? I mean, they should do a cage match. That would be sure. Sure. I was like, yeah, what what, I was going to say, what do you think is likelier to happen? Oh my God. Gavin would kick his ass. No, what's likely to happen? The, 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 the Newsom DeSantis debate? Or the Elon oh, okay. Mark fight. All right, All right. Like, so I win. Mean, it I... Should be some sort of parlay bet here. Um, okay, I, I accept your win. Go ahead. Okay, what, sure. What? Um, my fail. Yeah. So I just got back from Switzerland, Kara, and okay, I'm going to say oh, my fail is the American train system. <laughs> I, I was just, I was just in Europe, and I know, I know this is not. They're so good. They're, they're so, so good. good. It is, it is, it is amazing. Like I have right. so many stories of like our train is running two minutes late, and there's like a bus and a boat, and everyone is coordinated, and it's this beautiful beautiful symphony where, you know, the boat will take you right on time to the gondola, to the funicular train. And, you know, I know, I know that I'm getting, I'm getting emotional here, but it it, it made me realize why can't we have nice things in the United States where in the U.S. it's like your train is running late, Mm -hmm. you know, see you, see in three days when you're stranded in, you know, at Penn Station. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the Swiss, it's just, it it, it was really beautiful just to see the entire Mm -hmm. way that like the transit system of the United States could work. But meanwhile, mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, the infrastructure bill that was passed by, you know, Democrats, like, it's mm-hmm. pretty much centered on roads, right? It's centered mm-hmm. on highways. It's centered on cars. I don't think we can, like, blow up the U.S. train system and start over from scratch. But being in this in the, you know, land of the of the mountain train made mm-hmm. me realize, like, why, which made me wonder, why can't we have nice things? My win is a, yeah, an astonishing uh, piece by Jen Senior, who's one of my favorite writers at The Atlantic. It's a story about her aunt. It says the ones we sent away. It's a remarkable story uh, about an aunt of hers, her mother's sister, who, you know, you read this about someone like Rose Kennedy or something like that, but about Americans at some point during the past century, sequestered from reading from the thing, sequestered from public views, warehouse uh, disappeared, roughly shorn from the family tree. And her aunt, Adele, was institutionalized when she was a young young child in the 1950s. And the advice they would give to parents, and now today they are not, they are mainstreamed into education and and they they improve quite a bit. And so then she went and visited someone who was like her aunt and this kid is thriving at home and with a very dedicated parents, um, mother especially. Um, and I just found this piece to be really pertinent about the way we warehoused people. And I think upcoming with all the problems we have around the elderly and where to put people, you, how we deal with care, it was, it was a, oh, speaking of truly American tragedy and a lot of fails in a lot of ways too, was really, it's worth your reading. It had so much pertinent today. And on my fail, I mean, it's very briefly, the, 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 the Times is reporting on Clarence Thomas, speaking of billionaires, mm. undisclosed lists and this latest, some, one of his friends, this looks like a friend of his, Anthony Welters, former executive at United Health care, um, who sold his company, which was called something else. He bought him his RV, essentially. And it looks like he probably didn't pay off the loan. I don't know, allegedly, yep. because he wouldn't say whether he paid it or forgave it. He said it was satisfied, which means it wasn't paid off, probably. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just more stuff, tuition, help for family members, travel on private jets and yachts. And I know, like, all these justices, but no one does the grifting like Clarence Thomas. Um 
I think it's a systemic problem. It should be much more transparent. Uh, Republicans obviously won't budge, but it was a, it's an it's an ongoing embarrassment. And this guy was pretending he's in his. It's like a luxury RV. It's not like a regular guy RV. I've been in a regular. I had an a regular sure. guy RV, but it's like say, a hotel on wheels. It's a Four Seasons on wheels. Re- reading about that story made me very fascinated. This entire kind of like RV. Uh, cottage industry where there's, you know, all these like conventions and clubs and like but, high but there's, end. There's regular ones, but these are high right, end. Right. Sure, this sure, sure. Like, I yeah. mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously familiar with like an RV park, right? Which is a, right. you know, RV club for, for normal, for normal people, but that there's this entire, you know, RV has to cost, you know, seven figures or more. And then there's this entire right. little high end uh, stratification, even within yeah. the RV yeah. industry. I, I had no idea that yeah. existed. So. Clarence Thomas really needs to stop. Anyway, we want to hear from you, the listeners. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Again, Teddy, that's the show. Explain where people can find you. Sure. Uh, We are at Puck News, uh, and I I write a weekly email for people who are interested in the world of, of tech, wealth, and philanthropy and politics. It's called The Stratosphere, and anybody who who's listening should Subscribe to Puck. Yes, they should. And actually, uh, there's a lot of money in tech, I understand. Uh, We'll see. Allegedly. 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 Anyway, we'll be back on Friday for more Scott Free August. We've got more fantastic guests. Uh, I will read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Travis Larchuk, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Endertat engineered this episode. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week with another breakdown of all things tech and business. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here, chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian.